One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to another jam-packed episode of Wellness with Lizelle. And today it's a real cracker. And I, it's such a pleasure actually to be joined by Dr. Shazadi Harper. Now, Shazadi is a London-based GP specialising in women's well-being and is so passionate about optimum, optimal even, hormonal health so that we can all feel confident and sexy, whatever our age. So much to chat about. Welcome. Thank you. And what's fascinating talking to you is that it's not just when you're looking at hormonal health and the menopause in particular, it's not just older women. You were telling me earlier, just before we started recording, that for many cultures, it starts very much earlier. I mean, you you have an Indian background, is that right? I, I have a Pakistani background. But one of the things is I think that people always think of sort of post-menopause or menopausal women as being sort of silver-haired, wearing slacks, running on the beach. But actually, I believe that <laughs> you need to start thinking about your hormones from the age of 40 onwards. And the average age of menopause in India is 46 and a half. And they're very... Of actual m- menopause. So that's actual periods stopping. Actual periods stopping. Similarly, here in this country, the average age is 51. But in India, it's 46 and a half. So, you know, I think we need to think about it sometimes from different ethnic backgrounds that people may have slightly different... Sure. Um, ages of menopause and I think we need to really be aware of our hormones probably a bit earlier rather than later Mm. so we can do something about them. Well I know you were telling me that Oprah refers to the over 35 is that right? She does she does you know she's very much talking about over 35 starting to look at your hormonal profile and possibly going to see your doctor about um, whether or not you need any interventions whether it be lifestyle or medication, you know, lots of different um, types of interventions that can happen Mm. and just discussing it with your doctor. Mm. Yes. So for you, why women's health? Why did you decide to specialise in that? Well, I'm one of six girls in my family. Um, I've got five younger sisters. Um, Good heavens. You must have felt like head girl. I was definitely. I really, (laughs) I really was. I mean, and they all look up to me um, being their big sister. Um, I've also got a 21-year-old daughter, so very much aware of her hormonal needs as well. And my mother, who's a really strong, intelligent woman, when she went through the menopause, I saw the way that she had a meltdown. And actually, she now suffers with dementia. So for me, I was really passionate about finding about more about it because I think that one of the things is maybe if she had had some kind of hormonal treatment... Um, maybe her dementia may not have been as bad as Mm. it is now. So it really kind of um, sparked a passion in me. Mm. Obviously, as I'm growing older, you know, I still wanted to feel good and look good. You look amazing. And we will be putting pictures on our podcast notes (laughs) if you you want to check out this curiously gorgeous GP I'm talking to. (laughs) Yeah, so, so, so for me, it was very much an interest. And I thought as a junior GP, when women in their 40s used to come and see me, sort of, I used to think, I really don't want to end up in that kind of state that they were in. What sort of problems were they presenting? 
tiredness, you know, sort of um, hot uh, night sweats, hot flushes, aches and pains, sort of symptoms that they couldn't really put their finger on. And neither could I really, other than thinking, are they going through the menopause or the perimenopause? And I thought, you know, and I didn't really know what to do about it because we don't get trained at medical school. That's quite a shocking thing, isn't it? That, that every single woman, if she lives long enough, and from what we're hearing now, it may not actually be older age, it's happening really right in the middle of, of the early onset of middle age, it's going to happen to all of us, and therefore that's half your surgery. Yeah, I mean, why are you not being trained in that? I mean, I really don't know. I mean, there are three and a half billion women in the world, you know, irrespective of them having children or not, we're all going to go through the menopause mm. at some point. You know, there are 11 million women over the age of sort of 44 who are going through this process in the UK. And I think, you know, we're 11 not... million in the UK. 11 million Can in the UK. Can you imagine if we all got together, girls? <laughs> what would we look like? I mean, the noise that we could make and the stories we could share. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, we as GPs don't even get sort of an hour's lecture on it. Well, I didn't when we were training for it. So I really felt I needed to find out more about it mm. myself. And I thought with it approaching for me and also for my younger sisters, I thought I wanted to know more. So how did you find out as a GP? Because you've done all your training. So I had this unfortunate event in sort of 2014 that I tore my cruciate ligament. Oh, and so I was laid up in bed and I thought, where am I going with my life? Mm. And at that point in time, I had thought about maybe leaving the NHS. I felt a little bit burnt out. But the truth is, you know, I became a doctor because I really wanted to help people. And that's where my passion lies, and particularly women. So I started to look into what courses I could do. I looked at nutrition. I looked at, you know, aesthetics. Um, so, I, and then I think I, I just hit upon this course on menopause. And I went to it, and I thought this was really something I wanted to find out more and more about. And now I'm a member of the British Menopause Society, the European Menopause and Andropause Society. You know, I've done lots of sort of research into it, finding out more, attending lots of lectures and mm. things, because I'm really hungry for knowledge and to share it with people and to put things into perspective, because I think there's a lot of scare stories out there. Well, I think we should probably take that head on before we talk about anything else, because we will be talking about hormonal health and all sorts of types of hormones, including hormone replacement therapy, HRT. Presumably the number one question that you get asked by women coming in, if you're going to suggest HRT, is, ah, yes, but what about breast cancer? Absolutely. And, you know, I'm not going to deny that it doesn't increase your risk of breast cancer, but I think we really need to put it into perspective. When we talk about the risk of breast cancer and we say that one in eight women will develop breast cancer, we are talking about over a lifetime of a woman. Mm. We're not talking at a specific point in their life. So a woman in her 20s, her risk is going to be more like one in 1100, whereas a woman who's in her 60s probably will have a much higher um, risk of breast cancer. So when we talk about that, I think we also forget the other factors that happen. So a woman, when she starts on HRT, let's talk about sort of at the average age of 51, the baseline risk of developing breast cancer is 23 in a 1,000 women over five years will get it. A woman who's on HRT, well, her risk increases by four, so it becomes 23 plus four. However, if you are an obese woman, irrespective of you being on HRT, your risk is 23 plus 30. Oh my goodness. So, so, so I, we must not let that muffin top get to us. No, and that muffin top... I mean, our top, risk top factor for breast cancer is, it, is very much being overweight. Yes, I think the biggest risk factor mm. is obesity more than anything else. Mm. So why are we denying women a better quality of life based on if they want to 
um, go on to HRT after they have been informed and they consent to it. Why are we denying them mm. that just because we are talking about breast cancer when actually what we should be saying to them is why not lose some weight? Why not right. take some exercise? Yeah. Because exercise, if you are somebody who exercises regularly and we're talking about half an hour a day of moderate exercise or 75 minutes per week of vigorous exercise, your risk then reduces by 23 minus 7 over a, Gosh, a, a five so, so if you are a healthy, fit woman who doesn't drink alcohol, you know, sort of um, more than two glasses a night, um, every single night, if you don't smoke, if you um, um, exercise regularly mm. and stay trim, then actually your risk of breast cancer is low. So if you're on H HRT, then yes, it will increase your risk, but not in the ways that the but papers no, are scaring the, you. The, the sensational. And I know through writing my book, The Good Menopause Guide, that this, the big study that came out 10, 12 years ago was wildly misinterpreted and exaggerated. And that actually put a lot of women off and actually, to be fair, put a lot of GPs off prescribing it, didn't it? Well, a lot of doctors stopped prescribing because, you know, one, as I mentioned before, we're not really that well informed on the whole. Yeah. And so I think when you have a scare story like that, you are going to stop because you don't want to put women at risk. No, sure. But those studies that came out in 2001, 2002 were on older women. The average age of a woman in those studies was 59, 60. We're talking about women... Talk, we're talking about the window of opportunity. There's a window of opportunity mm. to start HRT, which is around the time that they go through the perimenopause um, transition. So maybe from 45 onwards, that if you, if a woman is put onto HRT at that point, then really her risks are not significantly reduced. And even now we're talking about there may be some positive benefits, particularly mm. around cardiovascular disease. Well, that's very interesting, isn't it? The studies that I've seen show that taking HRT can halve your risk of coronary heart disease. Absolutely. If you if we look at men and women um, in their lifetime, men always have a higher risk of cardiovascular disease than women until the age of about 50, 51, 52. At that age, women's risks level off to the same as men. And the only thing that I can think of that changes around that time is menopause. It's hormones, yeah. So the fact is, our hormones, as our, our female hormones, are protecting us against a higher risk of cardiovascular mm. disease. So if we stay on hormones, or if we choose to be on hormones, then maybe, you know, over time, more and more studies will come out to show mm. that actually it's, it's protective. Protective. And osteoporosis, bone health, because that must be a big thing that you see in your clinics. Oh, a bone health. I mean, particularly, you start to lose sort of bone mass density from sort of the age of 40 onwards. And why yeah. is that? Why, why do we suddenly lose it? Hormones. Is it? There? It's hormones. hormones Everything's going back to hormones. You know, um, um, obviously, if you're a smoker or if you drink alcohol. If that affects kids. your bones? Yes. Oh, gosh, I thought it was just your lungs. No, smoking <laughs> has a huge impact, actually, and sort of alcohol has yeah. a huge impact, you know, lack of exercise. Yes, um, yeah, I'm aware of it having to do bone, you know, bone strengthening, so weight bearing, even walking actually is good for your bones, yeah. isn't it? And, and the other thing is, I mean, funnily enough, you know, I suppose we're all really self-conscious about our sort of image. So if you are somebody who's quite a, a really thin woman, mm. then your estrogen levels are going to tend to be a bit lower. And are so they? you're going to end to be, and you're going, because fat naturally produces estrogen. Oh, so we need a bit of fat. We do. And Excellent. this may be one of the reasons why our body changes shape around the time oh. of the menopause, because as our hormonal levels fluctuate... Yes. And I don't want to be stealing your thunder here, Liz, mm. talking about weight. But I'm just saying <laughs> one of the things is that um, as our hormonal levels fluctuate, our body's trying to create more estrogen. Yeah. So one of the reasons is I, I think that what happens is we end up 
getting fatter because mm. fat is trying to cre- create more estrogen in our bodies to sort of bump up the levels of estrogen. That's so interesting because I have read that we make our hormones from fat. We do. And therefore, you, what, one of the last things that we should be doing, especially in, in our mid or later life, is going on a low-fat diet and cutting out the good fats that are going to give us the building blocks to make good hormones. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we shouldn't be sort of cutting out sort of good fats from our diet. You know, we should be cutting out things like sugar. Sure. Okay, and mm. we should be cutting down on carbohydrates around mm. this time because those are the things that then lay down more and more sort of unhealthy sort of um, fats, fat around the middle and weight um, and causing things like, and because of our hormonal changes, we end up having a little bit more what we call insulin resistance and so we so what does that mean in practice well that means it, it becomes harder for us to lose weight we so can, that is a real thing because i mean people do say that they put on more weight or find it much harder to shift it yeah i mean um the studies show that women gain about five to ten kilograms around sort of the menopause transitional year so over the over sort of five to eight years that their hormone hormones are changing and and until the point that they finally stop their periods they do tend to put on about five to ten kilograms and I often say to women around this time, look at what you're eating and maybe cut down on the carbs and increase the protein aspect because what we want our body to do is to burn off our fat rather than store it by, mm. because our bodies love to use sugar as energy. So when, it, when we're eating carbohydrates, it will naturally burn off the carbs and, and create sort of um, energy from the sugars rather than burning off the fat that our right. body's laying down. So. I mean, I've, I've taken HRT for probably 18 months now, and actually I've watched my weight go down. And I think that's because, this is a personal reflection, I'd be interested to see your view on this medically, I am more active, I have more energy, I sleep better for longer, and I have more energy, I go out running now, whereas I, that was never something that I did before. I, th- I think a num- I think there's a number of factors involved here. I think a lot of women aren't sleeping well when they're going through the menopause you know they are also feeling low in mood as mm. well um they're feeling lacking in energy so they don't feel as motivated to go out and do yeah. exercise the other thing our hormones are also doing is changing our body shape from sort of what we would call a gynoid as in a womanly shape to a more android a more rotund shape so we'd end up with the fat around the middle. So that's a mid middle age spread people talk Absolutely. about that's a real thing is that's it? That's a real thing so when you we put when we um, go on to HRT, our hormones become um, better balanced. So what happens is we then go back to that natural shape. And actually, I mean, a lot of my patients, what they find is, although they may not have lost weight by going on to HRT, but what they found is that their shape is coming back. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got the hourglass coming back. Um, and they, they've said to me that their partners, their husbands have noticed that their shape has changed. And that makes them feel more like a woman again. Mm. And, and you're absolutely right as well. They do get, have more energy. They're sleeping better. So they're feeling more motivated. Their self-esteem is better because they're looking better. Mm. And so off they go out and sort of exercise or, yeah. you know, maybe less comfort eat as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not feeling so low that you're yeah. holed up on the sofa with a box of dairy milk or well for me it's and... croissants but yes okay. <laughs> did you ever feel low did you because you're sort of in your late 40s now so what's your own personal experience which I think is relevant as a, as a GP because you are very much in the same stage as a lot of women who are coming to see yeah. you yeah I mean I would say um I lost my father about sort of two and a half years ago and I did kind mm. of wallow in croissants at that point and gain weight mm. um and I noticed that I was feeling really fatigued 
So I made a conscious decision to go on to hormones myself. Yeah, at uh, what age were you, when you did that? I, did, I was 45 at were the you? time. So, so that's, that fits in with nice guidelines. That's what nice guidelines yeah. say, 45. Yeah, but nothing had changed in the sense of my periods weren't irregular. I wasn't having hot sweats. So how, how do you feel about prescribing it then for women who are having still having periods and still I've, relatively normal, if you don't want to invite a comment. Well, I, th- I think, I think they, they have lots of symptoms. Like, I felt my brain wasn't as sharp. You know, mm. I, I, I'm a GP. You know, I see patients throughout the day. I can't afford to not be sharp. Um, no, we can't I, afford you no, not to be sharp either. I, you know, I need to be on the ball, and I don't want to be grumpy either with my patients. Mm. So, um, you know, for me, the, that my decision was based on the fact that I had brain fog, like a lot of women say, yeah. not able to concentrate feeling really fatigued and tired and feeling low actually you know I did feel really low I mean I know one might say oh you've lost your father but yes there was there's a there's a difference I think in how your mood is when you're going through the um, menopause you do feel low that doesn't mean to say you still can't feel um, bereavement and grief those are two separate things and we do have estrogen receptors in our brain so one of the things is you know when our estrogen levels are fluctuating on the days that maybe they're not so high, then I think people probably feel more moody. And that's what we mm. talk about when we have labile mood. You know, that's why labile women... Labile mood. I've never heard that expression. What does that mean? It means fluctuating mood. That mood right. can vary. You know, you can feel tearful quite quickly. Yeah. 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 No, so, my girlfriend uh, said that to me, suddenly bursting into tears for something yeah. so small, so minor. Yeah. So so it's labile mood. So you, um, you know, you can cry watching a, a, a program that, that you normally wouldn't... Mm. normally cry at you know mm-hmm. sort of watching some animals and things I mean I'm not an animal lover personally and I'm, I can sit there sort of getting yeah. all a bit teary about it so yeah. you know your mood you're out of control yeah and I think a lot of women say that they feel out of control but that's very worrying if that's happening in your mid-40s when you're still having periods you're definitely not likely to connect that to oh this must be a menopausal or perimenopausal symptom this is why I'm feeling a bit low you know it's a time of our lives when we're so busy with you know we may have children we may have difficult t- stages of our careers we may be the sandwich generation where we're looking after older parents and yeah. and younger offspring mm. and of course we're stressed of course we're busy and of course our moods are going to shift I think women put it down to that you know we're spinning so many plates you mm. know we're juggling so many things um, exactly as you said you know you, you have children um, you know some might be going off to university you've got sort of elderly parents that you're sort of caring looking look, looking after you're also probably at a point in your career that you're making lots of different changes and I've had women giving up high-powered careers at this point you know I had a woman who worked in the city who decided that she was going to give that up because it was far too stressful and she wanted to do she went off and did ceramics I mean she's enjoying it but she's mm-hmm. not making the money that she was making and you just think well you know and, and she's missing that aspect of her yeah. life um, so I think you know that we need to raise more awareness. I, I was think. going to say, what what kind of reaction you know could you expect if you went to your GP in your mid forties and said, "Oh, I've, I've you know I've got a busy life, but my mood is low." I I, I think a lot of GPs may automatically dish out antidepressants, yeah, yeah. and I think that's a really sad thing. And I think it goes back to the fact that I think that a lot of GPs or a lot of doctors imagine that um, a woman going through this time in her life or going through the menopause is a more older probably a less glamorous woman and you know I'm not that kind of woman at all you know and I think you are that, very glam <laughs> thank you and I think I think that you know we need to raise awareness that it can be um you know sort of women in their mid-40s or mm. from 40 onwards quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, interesting, especially is that women from... Asian Pakistani backgrounds is that more relevant for them because I know there'll be lots listening it, it is more relevant for them and I think it's more relevant from the point of fertility as well so if people are trying, thinking that they want to have children mm. maybe they need to be thinking a bit sooner rather than thinking interesting we can wait why until is 40. that the difference is it is it in, in cultural is it genetic is it foods that are being eaten what, what's I think it's a number of factors I think nutrition may be um, an, an important factor there I think also, there does tend to be a lot of polycystic ovarian syndrome, you know, and insulin resistance and diabetes, type 2 diabetes within the Southeast Asian community. So I think they, those are also factors involved there. And it may just be you know, sort of hereditary factors within, you know, certain races. You know, for example, the Japanese women don't tend to have as many symptoms as we do here in the West. Mm, although I have heard it's due to underreporting. That's what and I was going to say. I, th- I think it's all. I think maybe they they are less reporting because maybe they're toler not tolerating is not the right word, but I think they're putting up with it probably in, yes, in a way. Yes, culturally, it's not acceptable yes, at all to talk about it. Absolutely. So you wouldn't even admit it to your best friend or yeah. your doctor, let alone. And and, and that's why I think it really needs awareness needs to be raised across the board, not just in the Southeast Asian community, I think across all sort of ethnicities Mm. that, you know, start to think about if you are feeling this way in your 40s, go and discuss it with your GP. And it may be that it might be to do with your perimenopause. There may be other factors, but I think we need to look into it rather than just writing off a woman at that point Mm. in time. And at what point would you not ever prescribe HRT? 
because I know that there will be some people listening who'll be thinking, well, that's fine, but I've got a history of breast cancer or my, my mother died of breast cancer. You know, at what point do you say, actually, I'm really sorry, but this isn't for you? I think if there is a history of oestrogen receptor positive breast cancer um, and... How you... close would that have to be? Would that be like your mother or your sister? I mean, if you if you've per- you personally, yeah, if you've if you've got a history of oestrogen receptor breast cancer, I I wouldn't prescribe it. No. Although you can take it vaginally, can't you? You can so localized yeah. because it's 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 very local. It's a very mm. low dose, so you can still take it okay. locally. Um, and I think even if you've had an oestrogen receptor breast cancer, yes, yeah, yes. And and the other thing is, if you have got the BRCA one and the BRCA two genes, then I think you know you have an 85% chance, up, you know, up to an 85% chance of developing a breast cancer. So probably that no. you wouldn't be, no. I wouldn't be prescribing it to you mm. as well. But what about if somebody said, well, my mother had breast cancer? Or Depends how old she is. I mean, I mean, if she was in her 60s or 70s, that doesn't automatically put you at a higher risk. I think people, people assume that if one of their sort of um, relatives has had breast cancer, they automatically can't have HRT. But I think you need to understand that if you're, if a relative has had breast cancer in their 60s, or 70s actually that's just the same as the normal population risk a, that doesn't put you reasonably high likelihood of developing it then anyway yes yeah and i wouldn't be putting that down to a genetic cause that mm. would be just a normal baseline risk as the population would have it yes yeah. um and then in terms of other cancers are there other estrogen receptive cancers other than breast cancer there's ovarian cancer right so so um with with ovarian cancer obviously we need to know a bit more about um about you and and put the risks into perspective mm. it's not as straightforward as with breast cancer and i think you know i would need to spend a little bit more time finding out yeah. more yeah and for those women who absolutely can't take it is there any alternative um, uh, there are there are um sort of herbal remedies out there like um promensal which is some natural sort of estrogens in there there are other but if th- they're estrogens should they be taking them even if they're Yes, I mean, they're they're more herbal, you know, so so they're not they're not going to feed into any kind of breast cancer or ovarian cancer risk. So no, Um, the other things that they can take if they're getting hot flushes are funny enough, going back to um, antidepressants, the SSRIs work really well, like venifaxine works really well for sort of hot flushes. So it depends on your symptoms then. But but there is hope there are there are are interventions that that you can have. Um, And and so you need to discuss that with each individual Mm. and, you know, they need to be informed. And a lot of women, I mean, I've had women who have had breast cancer and things say, we really want to go onto it, back onto our HRT because they felt good on it. So sometimes we have to say no. And, you know, I'm quite happy to say no at times because you have to think about the bigger picture and you think, well, what are the other alternatives you can offer? But at the end of the day, I think sometimes we underestimate a woman is an intelligent person. She can make her own decisions. She can make an informed choice. And I, as a doctor, am there to help her through that journey, not to force any HRT on her or force any other medication on her. And it's down to her then to make that decision ultimately with you. Do you know, it's really interesting to say that because I familiarised myself yet again recently by reading the NICE guidelines. Okay. And it's very clear when you read those that it is the woman's choice. Absolutely. It's what the woman who is presenting as a patient would like to do. Yes. It's if she would like to stay on it, if she would like to take it, if she would like to come off it, you know, it's very much, it's not this dictatorial, oh, finger wagging, you must do this or you mustn't do that. And and there is, and in the nice guidelines, there's no cutoff point. It doesn't say five years or 10 years. And I think that's another thing that we need to put out there. Mm-hmm. There isn't a time limitation on 
when you stop HRT. You could take it forever if you wanted. You could take it forever. You, you may need to adjust the dose because your needs for it may not be the same when you were 65 as you were when you were 55. Right. And so dosages may need to be changed, adjusted, reduced. But overall, you know, you you know you can stay on it you know i had a 72 year old woman who i her gp had sent to me to sort of say about stopping her hrt and i had a, a lovely discussion with her and she said to me but i've only got married two years ago i don't want to have vaginal dryness right now and um i <laughs> thought good on you and i said but maybe you don't need as much of it as you need right. as you had before right. so we negotiated a reduction yep. in dose yeah um you know and she was very happy with yeah. that and what type do you prescribe or recommend? Because, again, coming back to where it comes from, in the old days, it seemed to... Premarin was the one that was coming from pregnant horses' urine, urine yes. which is really not very pleasant, whereas now the gels and patches are all derived from wild yams. Is yes, that right? Yes, So what, what what's the sort of thing that you're prescribing? I mean, I prefer prescribing the gels and the patches and the natural micronized progesterone, eutrogestan. Um, but however, that doesn't mean to say I rule out tablets totally for mm-hmm. some women. It totally suits their lifestyle to be on a tablet. I mean, there are a couple that I... I really like to prescribe you know there's femiston which the progesterone in it doesn't increase your risk of breast cancer to um significantly so some women because of mm. their lifestyle they may be flying they may be traveling yeah they don't want to be putting gels and patches on um, sure some women don't want to put patches on you know a lot of women at this stage in their life are starting new relationships yeah. you know well i've got a girlfriend who has a patch and she said it's a nicotine patch Okay, well, look, you know, I'm one of those women, you know, who's who's (laughs) now single. So, I mean, I don't want to be having a patch on me to um, sort of, it kind of makes you feel a little bit unsexy. So lots of women like to be Mm. using gels um, or or tablets because it wants more of an invisible type of HRT and for them to feel like they when they were younger, when they were taking the pill, the contraceptive pill. Well, that's interesting, isn't it, talking about the contraceptive pill, because that, again, is quite a high dose, higher dose of oh, hormones. Oh, much higher, yes. And yet there doesn't seem to be the, the scares and the anxiety around it. I think um, when I am putting younger women onto the contraceptive pill, they don't seem to take as much notice about breast cancer risk. and they invincible. I think they're just thinking about it more about the bigger picture. It's controlling mm. their periods. They mm. don't want to get pregnant. I think the biggest thing for them is not to get pregnant yeah. and regulating their periods and to be in control. Um, and so they they happily take it. And they're more worried about weight gain, you know, sort of greasy hair, spotty skin, rather than, you know, breast cancer risk or ovarian cancer risk. So, and, and I think there is an element of, you know, they're only young so they do feel a bit invincible at that point mm. in time yes absolutely very interesting you mentioned earlier uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome ovarian syndrome and that is staggeringly common isn't it is it one in ten women young yeah women? i mean it's it's more common than you think so and describe it what exactly is it so it's an imbalance of your hormones um and we're talking about hormones which are your estrogen, progesterone and testosterone. So it's an imbalance and you tend to have a little bit more testosterone. Hence you a lot of the, and also you have cysts on your ovaries. You don't have to have all of those things going on. It's usually two out of three. Um, and the visible symptoms of it tend to be acne, sort of being a bit more hirsute as in hairy in your body. Mm. Um, and most women do tend to be overweight. Um, and however... There are also a group of women who tend to be underweight as well. So it's tricky to tell then, isn't it? Yeah. So so, so you have, but they tend to be more overweight women. And a lot of the time by a woman just reducing her weight by about 5%, 
it will help with getting your hormones in check. And and the main feature is the reason that they tend to present is irregular periods or having periods which are really spaced out, sort of 40 days, you know, 30 days, three months. So, so, so there's no regular pattern. And hence we do the blood test and we usually do an ultrasound scan. And they tend to find it very hard to lose weight because their body's not responding to the insulin hormone to help them to sort of to mobilize fat and to utilize the carbohydrates that they're eating um, so well. So they're also at a higher risk of developing type 2 diabetes. They're also at a higher risk of having high cholesterol and lipids. So they are an important sort of group of women because a lot of them come in feeling quite low. They're struggling to lose weight. Mm. Well, one in 10 is a high number. It's a really high number, mm. you know. And, and I at what age do they tend to come and see you? Is, are they coming in young or are they coming in older as a last resort? No, actually, I see a lot of them, um, um, as you mentioned before, you know, I, although I'm London-based, I used to work in Oxford a lot, so I used to look after a lot of the students in some of the colleges. So I used to see them from the age of sort of 17, 18 to 25, 26. Mm. So a lot of them come in at that point in time. And surprisingly, there was a sort of a high pickup rate from, from these, you know, sort of young women mm. coming in. Funnily enough, then these women also tend to go through similar symptoms when they're going through the perimenopause because of the weight gain that starts to happen because of the hormonal changes. And even women who haven't had polycystic ovarian syndrome, they start to mimic a similar picture in their 40s because of the fluctuating hormones. Mm -hmm. And that's why they start to feel a bit low um, because they're struggling with losing weight because their body shapes start to change. Gosh, there's all such a complex little jigsaw going on. It inside, really isn't is. It? It, well, that's you know well, we women are like that. Though, yeah. We're a bit more complicated creatures, really. And it's, and it's also fascinating. Is acne a, a sort of an early warning sign of that? If if you're somebody that had acne uh, going through puberty, or perhaps you've got a daughter or granddaughter with acne, is it something that you think, oh, maybe there could be something else going on? I think if they've got really a lot of acne, mm. but I think it's a combination of acne, maybe f sort of facial hair, yeah. you know, um, uh, irregular periods. If somebody came in like that, I mean, I've got to a point now that when somebody walks in through the door, I can almost guess can that they've tell. got it. Yes. Yeah. And how do you treat it? Um, put them on the contraceptive pill when they're younger. Right. I mean, another thing is using, um, uh, uh, it's an off-license indication, but sometimes we use diabetic medication like metformin mm -hmm. because metformin will help to um, increase insulin sensitivity help them to lose weight and by losing weight that brings their hormones back into check again mm. and their periods back to being regular now you do quite a lot i know in your clinic with weight management what are yes. your sort of top tips that are your absolutely irrefutable must do's or mustn't do's well number one i will always say to uh, a woman to look at her diet and really cut back on the carbohydrates i mean as I said before, I do love my croissants. I'm not saying you don't have to have them ever, but maybe really think about your protein to carb balance and increase the protein aspect of your diet. So what sort of percentage then, if we're looking in daily terms of daily foods? I'd, I'd be thinking that you would have maybe sort of 25% carbs, about sort of 50% um, protein and 25% vegetables. So really thinking about mm. it in that kind of way. So in your carbs, you're including obviously the obvious things like sugars and cakes and things, but yes. also things like white rice and pasta and bread. I, I try and say to people to have more what we call low glycemic index foods. So the kinds of carbohydrates that are going to release sugars slowly over time. So try and avoid white rice, mm. white bread, you know, sort of sugary foods. But you can have a bit of brown rice? 
brown rice, brown bread, you know, sweet seeded breads. Um, the other things are, you know, once in a while, it's fine to have sort of cakes and biscuits. Mm, let's not birthday throw... cake or something. Yes, yep. you know, let's not you know, make life a bit glum. You know, if, <laughs> if you like that kind of thing, then go for it. Sometimes, yeah. but it's all about getting balance and yeah. moderation. Yeah. And I think it's really important to exercise. And I'm not going to say that you have to be doing an hour every single day you know I often say to women what about putting some music on and just dancing yeah. you know um, nothing like really a get good old moving. dance isn't it yeah I'm always really pleased actually when I go to a party and they put some music on and it gives you an excuse to kind of dance yeah. off some of the glasses of wine that you might have but had. it's also <laughs> important to do some strength exercises mm-hmm. using weights because the other thing that tends to happen around this time as well you know, for a woman going through the menopause is she loses muscle mass so that's that's why body shapes change so you get round around the middle then you have these sort of stick arms and stick legs almost um that's because we're losing muscle so it's not just good enough just to go and just do some aerobic exercise pick up some weights you know uh, or or use your own body so things like push-ups where you're using your own body and squats so push-ups and squats which anybody can do yeah, and you don't need to ha- yeah. go out and buy a whole set of weights. No kit, for a- no equipment, not yeah. even any special clothing. Just so, so in that's a nice so thing. yeah. So I often say, you know, push-ups. If if, if you're having to choose push-ups and squats uh, are really good because squats really build a lot of muscle around your legs. And actually, when you've got muscle, muscle helps to burn your your fat. So you won't you'll you'll tend to not put on so much weight as mm. well. So your metabolism will increase. Absolutely. The, 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 yeah. the muscular you are. Fab. Yeah. Last note, alcohol. We've touched on it before. Presumably that is a carbohydrate. It is. So, you know, so. what, give us some good news. Let's end on a positive. What can we do? Well, look, I, I, th- I, think, I think it's about moderation, you know, and, mm-hmm. I, and you know, we hear about on, um, for cardiovascular disease, having a glass of red wine is a positive. I mean, I always say to people to have two alcohol free nights per week, be- mm-hmm. give your liver a rest. Um, on, Should they be consecutive, do you think? No, or? I no. usually say okay. a bit like the 5-2 diet, space yeah. amount. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's really a good thing to do. And the other thing is, you know, just moderate. Yeah. I'm not going to say no. You know, if you enjoy it, have some, but, you know, moderate one to two glasses. That's about it, I would say. Excellent. I love the fact, Shazadi, that you never say no. That's great. <laughs> now, you have a clinic that's opening in London, which is I really am. exciting. So I am. that's going to be opening in the autumn of 2018. Yes, it will be at number 39 Harley Street. And it's great. going to be the Good Menopause Clinic. Fantastic. And I will be there. Excellent. Well, having written the good gut, the good gut guide, yes, and the good menopause guide, I shall definitely be dropping in. So thank you. Now, it's great to chat. That does bring us to a close for today. Thank you so much for being with us. Now, we are going to be putting, as always, all the details and links and resources on our podcast notes. So I will pick up um, with Shazadi after this particular um, recording and make sure that we capture everything that we've talked about, including details of her clinics, details of all the strategies, weight loss ideas, all the hormonal treatments and support groups as well, perhaps for some of the things that we've talked about, um, in particular breast cancer, osteoporosis and PCOS. Now, do remember that if you'd like to catch the next episode, it's always worth clicking the subscribe button on your podcast app because that ensures that the next episode gets downloaded automatically safely to your gadget so you don't even have to think about it. And if you can, do please leave a review as it really helps others to find us. And we do know that listening to podcasts is actually one of the best ways to spread good information about helpful things on health and well-being that really do matter. So you can also sign up on lizardwellbeing.com for the newsletters that we have lots more well-being wisdom and insights and a few photos and behind the scenes snaps as well. So until the next time we chat, go well. Bye bye.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.